What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, Zach Mayo, Doctor of Physical Therapy. Our guest today is an old friend, a former classmate of mine, Dr. Steele Clay. Steele received a Bachelor of Science in Exercise Science from Old Dominion University before moving on to Thomas Jefferson University, where he earned his Doctor of Physical Therapy this past May. Steele currently practices out of Coach House Physical Therapy and Sports Medicine in Dumfries, Virginia, treating patients with various orthopedic and sports-related injuries in addition to vestibular conditions. I'm excited to be talking to Steele today about one of his favorite patient populations, spinal pain following motor vehicle accidents. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to a new episode. Um, I'm here with Dr. Steele Clay to talk about motor vehicle accidents and spinal pain following motor vehicle accidents. So before we get into a nice thorough clinical discussion, I'll give Steele some time to talk about his background, talk about where he is right now, and uh, more about what we're going to talk about. All right. um, Thanks, Zach. So yeah, I'm a physical therapist currently practicing in uh, the Northern Virginia area. Um, private practice, um, small clinic, but we see anything from, you know, geriatrics, sports ortho, vestibular, um, all those different types of things. So it's a really, you get to see a lot of unique things um, over the course of the day. But um, my background stemmed from playing sports all throughout um, childhood to high school. And then, you know, kind of fell um, even more into it once I kind of started powerlifting in um, undergrad. So that's where I kind of just found, you know, the passion for biomechanics, sports medicine, and just really, you know, here I am as a physical therapist. So Nice. Um, so like I said in our intro, Steele and I were classmates at Thomas Jefferson. So we knew each other pretty well through our three years just there. Yeah, just a little <laughs> bit. Um, so you're, you know, we're talking about spinal pain. So neck pain, low back pain, thoracic pain, following motor vehicle accidents. So what you know, what about this population are you, you know, so passionate about? Like, what drives your passion behind seeing these types of patients? Yeah, um, so great question. Yeah, so it's it's a very unique situation with them because it's such a violent mechanism of injury, you know. Um, it could be a thing where, you know, they're just sitting at a stoplight and they just get rear-ended. And you're seeing them maybe that week or, you know, in two weeks, but it was something that was very violent for them and could have been the first time they've got injured. You know, they couldn't have been perfectly healthy before then. So they're put into this uh, very, you know, strange, you know, situation where they're injured for the first time. And I think that's very um, different coming into the clinic than your standard, you know, I tore my ACL um, or I've had back pain for 10 plus years. So it's a great change up. And I think it's a good challenge uh, for any clinician. And it's a population I feel that gets very overlooked. Yeah, I mean, I would agree um, in terms of the fact that, number one, it is a very violent and traumatic injury, not only physically, but also psychologically. Um, and obviously, all injuries are to some degree psychologically impactful. But, um, you know, especially with very severe car accidents or severe motor vehicle accidents, the these people often have other injuries that are prioritized over some of the orthopedic injuries that we'll see with like neck pain or low back pain or things that we'll start to talk about on the show. Um, and they have to take priority and the neck pain and the low back pain get like swept to the side a little bit. Um, and they, those are a lot of the patients, at least that I've seen with motor vehicle accidents that have been tricky because of the chronicity, but also because of, um, 
the fact that you know we have to prioritize and make sure that the other injuries are being taken care of appropriately while not aggravating that neck pain and low back pain. Um, so I completely agree with you. And that's a population that's somewhat overlooked a lot of times in like orth- orthopedics and sports clinics, uh, which primarily like where we see them. Obviously, there's some therapists in the emergency department nowadays, but that's mm-hmm. a, another conversation entirely. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if we, so we're going to go through um, kind of like a patient scenario, like I was telling you before the podcast. So, you know, as somebody who has had some experience treating individuals that have had motor vehicle accidents with neck pain, back pain, thoracic pain, whatever, um, Mm -hmm. we'll just go through the full gambit of like, you know, first day, if somebody has a motor vehicle accident, they come in with, let's start with neck pain. All right. Right. Tell me about like what you're looking for at your initial evaluation and, you know, where you go from there. Yeah. So I think it starts with a thorough history. So you want to get the full mechanism of injury. So you might know it's a uh, car accident, but you don't know how it happened. Um, was it, you know, a rear end from the front, you know, um, how many people were in the car? What were they doing? How were they seated? You know, all those types of things. And then you want to get after that accident, um, what was their course of care after that? Did they go to the emergency room? Um, and then did they get follow up with a, a spine doctor? Things like that can kind of, of course, um, maybe affect your plan of care, maybe not, but it kind of affects how the patient is going to present to you as far as like what they, what information they've been um, given for like, oh, well, they diagnosed me with, you know, cervical or dick already, you know, so they might already have that implant in their mind. So whatever you tell them, you know, might be different. So that's how I kind of attack is first the history. And then kind of like, you know, if they're presenting already with any type of brace or anything that can already kind of restrict you as well. So I might give you an idea of if they're already kind of guarded in a position, um, you know, they're looking for, oh, can you maybe give me another brace or some type of this or like a lumbar roll, cervical roll, something like that. So those are like the two things off the back. I even, before I even get into my um, objective examinations. Yeah. I think the, we'll just call it like patient beliefs or patient expectations, Uh, you know, with things like, you know, I went to the emergency room and they said I had this, this, and this, and they gave me this cervical collar. Um, And that's good. Number one for us to see that they actually went to somewhere to get, you know, images and things of that nature. Um, Especially for this population, you see them, direct access or you see them as part of an urgent care center, like the first thing we got to look at is, you know, the possibility of a spinal fracture or something of that nature, looking at things like Canadian C-spine rule. Um, But, you know, a lot of times we're the second or third people to see them. They will often go to the emergency room, get imaging, get cleared and things of that nature. That doesn't take away from the fact that we still do that Canadian C-spine rule. Um, but I think patient beliefs is a big thing. And then also, um, you know, especially when we talk about people that come in wearing a cervical collar, you know, that's a whole nother thing we have to address yeah. in terms of, you know, do you actually really need to be wearing that or does it actually do anything? Um, for the large majority of people, the answer is a no. Um, so I think yeah. that's definitely, yeah, that out there. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely an obstacle f- for sure. Um, and then, you know, obviously the subjective aspect of everything is the most important thing for any type of initial examination that we do. Um, right. And then, 
yeah, I mean, the other aspects of that, it's just important to realize like where they're at psychologically too, because you can tell pretty off the bat and there's ways to measure it um, in terms of like the psychological impact of that, of that trauma too, because there could be nothing wrong, nothing going on, just have a little bit of neck pain, but they are stiff as a board and they don't want to move it because they're afraid. Right. So I think getting that subjective is like very, very important and probably the most important aspect that you, that we do as clinicians to get all that information. Yeah. They're going to come with some baggage. Um, That's what I've seen with some of the patients. Um, So you just got to kind of take that and move along with the patient and, and, you know, just kind of treat them as, as a whole, you know, not just be like kind of dive into the script, whatever it says, you know, first take a step back, you know, and be like, Hey, there's a person sitting in front of me. Um, And then kind of let's, let's go from there. And then, you know, if it does line up with the, what the referral or, you know, whatever says, you know, then so be it. But if it doesn't, you know, let's take the time to go through our exam. Yeah. I mean, very rarely does that referral have like an accurate thing on it for, at least for me as a physical therapist, obviously I read it, but take it with a grain of salt. Um, All right. So let's move on to, so you do the subjective. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we talked about things like patient beliefs, mechanism of injury. We won't go over the more basic things like pain levels and things like that. I think that kind of speaks for itself. Um, talk to me about like some special considerations for this population in terms of, so MVA with neck Mm -hmm. pain, like how would they differ from somebody that is just like, chronic mechanical neck i won't mechanical neck pain let's say or non-traumatic neck pain let's say yeah so they might not have that severe you know range of motion loss of range of motion deficits that you might see in someone um who's like you know just had just very you know chronic stiffness or um like a you know like a cervical um strain um whatnot um but they will have um a lot of like other um presenting symptoms um, such as like, you know, symptoms into the arm, um, possibly, or um, a lot of, um, you know, periscapular weakness and asymmetry, things that you've got to really look around for. Um, a lot of, uh, like maybe some uh, migraines, um, some, you know, some dizziness. Yeah, think about those too as well, because like I said, it's a violent, violent um, magnum of injury. So those are kind of things that outside the norm that might kind of be in your differential diagnosis. You know? Yeah. Do you often see um, like a concurrent or a concomitant concussion with these types of individuals? Uh, I think you should screen for concussions. I haven't seen um, anything that's kind of lined up to, you know, any mild, moderate, you know, severe type of concussions, but it's something I've kind of looked for um, and screened for, of course. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So I might look at some coordination, um, might look at, you know, at, and then that goes a little bit, we might backtrack a little bit subjective, but like, have you had any, you know, problems with memory? and things like that. So um, problem like concentrating. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, I'm definitely thinking about concussion for sure, even though I'm hopefully that got screened or uh, taken into account when they went to urgent care or wherever um, else after the accident. But you know, you can, you know, you're on your license. So you don't want to just take the extra precautions and it doesn't take too long just to kind of go through these things. Yeah. And I mean, a concussion is another animal in and of itself. I mean, yes. you can do you can do a completely separate type of examination based on just a concussion, but then that's why I find motor vehicle accidents and more of like a whiplash um, type of mechanism to be mm-hmm. 
very interesting with neck pain because sometimes you do see signs and symptoms that are not necessarily a concussion, but closely mm-hmm. related to. Like you see some issues with the vestibular ocular reflex, some ocular issues may be there, balance issues may be there. Um, and then you can also have, you know, if we talk about the classification system from the clinical practice guidelines, that neck pain right. with um, movement coordination impairments. You know, right. that if you look at that, really the biggest distinguishing factor is are those vestibular things. Um, yep. And they're definitely some, they're definitely tricky to treat. So mm-hmm. talk me through, like, we went through the subjective. So talk me through like more of the hands-on portion or more of the objective portion of the examination. Yeah. So, um, I might start off, you know, seeing like some endurance tests. So I might have them, to, you know, like do, you know, like a lift off in supine, kind of see, make sure what they're activating, what they're supposed to, you know, make sure they're not getting overactivation of the SCM in that kind of cervical endurance test. Um, I'll look a little bit, you know, I'll do my standard um, spurlings, you know, compression, distraction, kind of clear out some things as well. And I'll also, um, what I'll do too, and then I mentioned it earlier, was a scapular asymmetry um, test where I have them on a wall and I'll have them go up and kind of see how the upper rotation, if there's a delay, and then um, when they're coming up. So you want to see a natural, of course, uh, or equal um, upward scapular rotation on that. So kind of little different things I'll do, but they can all be, um, be very important um, for a good prognosis for your patient. Mm-hmm. And then of course, you know, I'll do my MMTs range of motion, um, but I'm looking all down the chain. So of course, uh, reflexes, um, even, you know, wrist um, and uh, forearm strength too as well, because all this can refer pain and um, weakness all down the chain. So. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever do like a quick screen for um, just like ocular movement? So like eye movement, some vestibular issues, you ever do a quick screen for that type of stuff? More I should do, but um, it would be more of like kind of like looking, you know, like seeing there's any spontaneous nystagmus. That's kind of like my screen right now. But, you know, good thing that we're having this discussion. I'll definitely with my future patients go into that. Um, So, yeah, but I think that's definitely warranted, especially, you know, you got the whole um, VOR system that's definitely uh, been been affected um, by by the – by the car accident. So definitely is warranted to, to, to take a look at for sure. And anything else. And if that, you know, get some findings from that, then you can go down and chain the cranial nerves and um, things like that. Yeah. Um, and it's not that these people like 100% all of the time present with vestibular issues or with uh, any type of, you know, ocular issues, I'll say. Um, it's just that we see it more commonly with this type of an injury where you would have like if anybody's familiar with like a concussion type of injury where you have the coup contra coup injury where basically the head goes up and back, um, mm-hmm. more of like a whiplash mechanism. We typically do see some vestibular issues or some type of um, interference there uh, because of the neurological mechanisms that are so closely related to the cervical spine. But that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that every single patient has that. Some people just have a neck that hurts because it got cranked. Um, yeah, like I tell them, yeah. uh, it's a, you know, it's a rapid acceleration, deceleration. So it's very violent. So a lot of things are going to be infected. A lot of things are just hyperactive right now. Um, and one of those things can be the vestibular system, you know? Yeah. And so I think, the, yeah, I think the, the, oh, what is it called? The deep neck flexor and deep neck extensor things, right? Those are mm-hmm. 
I know that there have been studies showing like correlations between that and at least in the concussion world, like issues between those two. Uh, but mm-hmm. that's an important thing to look at too, because that's an easy thing to kind of address pretty immediately. Um, and it's a nice test because that test becomes the intervention. So exactly. it's, it saves you a lot of time. Um, so what in terms of, so we talked about like the Canadian C-spine rule beforehand to clear out all the really scary stuff um, right. in terms of if you need to go get imaging or if something has been missed. Um can also do things like, and again, it depends on the setting that you're in, but if anybody comes to me with a car accident or a violent injury, especially at the s- cervical spine, I'm doing ligamentous instability tests yes. or ligamentous stability, whichever one you want to call them. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're looking for ligamentous instability. If it's there a we go. Yep. Test. Yeah. That's, yep. that's what I'm trying to get to. Um, that's an important one as well. Just to like clear people because once you clear that red flag stuff or the scary stuff then mm-hmm. we can go to work um the sharp, sharp purser i think that's the yeah, yeah. sharp yeah you have sharp yeah, yeah sharp purser transverse ligament transverse ligament um are the two main ones yeah. um and then yeah i mean there's a few other ones but usually those are like the two go-to um and then in addition to that you know, what else are you looking for from the, uh, let's say, like the proprioceptive components of everything as well? Um, so you were talking mm-hmm. about uh, the scapular test. So yeah. seeing how well basically everything's coordinated. So the scapula, yeah. seeing how well like one is coordinated to the other. Like I would consider that yeah. more so like a proprioceptive test. Um, just like body awareness and things of that nature. Um, how far do you dive into that? Um, I, you know, I, I, I take it actually a lot of because um, with a lot of these patients, they'll complain of a lot of, um, you know, oh, my right, you know, upper back is like so stiff and tensed or, you know, I just feel like I got a knot or something. So I think, you know, even though, you know, everything happened um, or their more chief complaint, as you would say, um, is at their neck that they're going to have these other, other complaints down here. So that needs to be looked at as well. And then once, you know, as we know, the body's a kinematic chain. So if we're working down here, um, down at the like scapular area um, or scapular border, you know, that will help to kind of address the, these, these uh, secondary issues to help um, correct the primary issue. And, you know, I, I do a lot of, you know, and I know we haven't got there, but I do a lot of like day one treatments, like hands on, um, kind of help relax them, things like that. And um, kind of send them home, like feeling at least a little um, better than when they walked in. And that goes bolts well for the plan of care. Yeah. Um, so when we're talking about the, the scapular assessment that you do, that's an <clears throat> interesting assessment. So you're looking for basically like gross differences from one scapula to the next in terms of its movement pattern yeah so i'll have like so i'll have usually it's easier like i'll have their shirt off or if they you know have a sports bra whatever but at least i have a good picture and then my hands or my fingers or my my thumb is right at the inferior angle um and then as i have them kind of just slowly go up you know a little bit past 90 and just kind of see if there's any subtle differences of how the upper rotation is going okay and then find like, so say their left is like kind of delayed. I'll, I'll dive into a little bit more of that and I'll do, um, Hey, let's like 
check some like um, upper trap, middle trap, lower trap strength as well. So, you know, kind of goes even, I dive even further to that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that doesn't take too long. So why not? Yeah. I mean, I think there's good, I've never personally used that as a test before, but I think there's good evidence for just like penny general to look at things like the lower trap, middle trap, serratus. I mean, mm-hmm. the large majority of the population, their lower trap is very weak. We're not developed yeah. or te- not, not great in any way. Um, so getting that a little bit better is always good for neck pain. Um, but I've never utilized that test before. That's interesting. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Next time, try to take a look and see if you find any uh, differences. And you might find some asymmetry and, or, you know, I mean, if you're not, you know, might find maybe some winging, you know, too, at the well. I've, I've always kind of seen that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah I, mean, hey, I wasn't yeah. looking for it, but like there it was and be like, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, that's a whole nother conversation if I see a lot of winging. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a long thoracic nerve issue I got to address. Yeah. Yeah. But you would like, sometimes like you wouldn't know, you know, um, if you didn't, you know, do that test. So. Yeah. I mean, especially if we're talking about, I mean, that's interesting because especially if we talk about like a motor vehicle accident where you have a violent, and again, there's different severities of a motor vehicle accident, but if it's a violent one where you can have like full body contact or like a lot of trauma to the body, you know, Mm -hmm. some type of, um, nerve injury like a neuropraxia or something of that nature to like the long thoracic just because of that contact isn't out of the question so that would be interesting to see yeah it would and yeah and then we talk about baggage but that'd be even extra on top of that oh yeah nerve injury on top of to like you know they're already have this pain and um this injury and say if they wanted to you know they need to get back to work well you know all these are just definitely challenges when you thought it was just a simple car accident you know <laughs> yeah especially especially a nerve palsy that's not something that clears up within a few days yeah yeah that's a, that's a long haul yes. um yeah so let's talk about um the interventions as the intervention aspect of it so you mentioned um utilizing more hands-on stuff so i'm assuming that's like manual therapy yes talk us through some of like the manual therapy techniques or yeah, some of the manual therapy techniques you utilize. Yeah, so I might start off with some gentle suboccipital release, um, depending on, you know, if those are tight or you got some forward head presentation. Um, but I, I don't like to spend too much on time like that. I actually like to spend more time on upper trap uh, levator scapula. Those are like, they're severely tight after um, this type of uh, accident and injury. Um, and along with that, I like to incorporate it with movement. So I'll actually have them kind of like block. So I have them in supine. It's um, upper trap NMR. Well, they're uh, supine. I'm blocking. So on their right side, I'm having them rotate to their left as I'm blocking their, like their upper trap. So kind of like almost like a release. Yeah. Neuro, neuro re-ed. Um, so that I like to use very, very success on day one. And it helps them relax and kind of help with early retraining the muscles and just gets, gets them moving too, which we all know. You just got to get them moving. Um, half the time which works wonders for patients yeah do you use any um so that's more like soft tissue stuff for the most part do you use any type of joint mobilizations joint mobilizations i haven't fully um unless it's more of like on like c-spine i've done a couple of those yeah so like some grade one grade twos um just gently along the spine because you'll see some c-spine tenderness um usually i found like you know c5 c4 c5 ish that's where i kind of find so that kind of like that lower um c spine area 
And now, yeah, that wouldn't be um, out of the question as well for day one. Mm -hmm. Have you done any type of, so like, let's say you have a very irritable patient, right? Right. Let's say like there are lower traps. So like lower traps and cervical, we'll just call it cervical musculature. There's a bunch of of different (laughs) muscles in there. Um, Yeah, it's too many. Um, You know, let's just say it's just lit up because, you know, for talking about irritability, like very irritable, not out of the question, especially when you have a motor vehicle accident. But we know that a lot of those times they're tight or, you know, stiff because of more of that muscular guarding or because their body's not comfortable yet with them holding their head up especially see this for the people that come with a cervical collar. Yes. You know, that's why we try to get rid of that as quickly as possible. If it's indicated, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. If it's indicated, of course, of course, somebody coming in with a legitimate cervical fracture, that's a whole another issue. Um, okay. But yeah, we don't deal. <laughs> they have a cervical <laughs> issue. That's keep that guy on. Um, yes. But we're talking like a sur- soft cervical collar where like, they're just like, oh, it just feels good. You know, a lot of times we see that those are the people that have stiff as a board necks, their mm-hmm. upper traps and their back, just like they move as one unit and they don't dissociate whatsoever. So they literally look like when you're doing rotation, they literally look like a board rotating. Um, yeah. So if you have an individual that is super irritable and really doesn't tolerate like that soft tissue stuff, like the more of the hands-on approach, right. um, what's your backup plan? Right. So like, what so, do you- Yeah, great question. So yeah. my backup plan um, that I've used, yeah, so my backup plan that I have used um, is mainly patient education, but also gentle stretching. You know, you want to get some out of it um, for as an intervention. And I think a lot of it they can take away from is like, hey, I actually know what's going on with me. Or, hey, actually, there's actually a provider, a clinician, that didn't just see me for 10 minutes and say, hey, well, you know, let's see what this medication can do. So um, I found like patient education um, goes a long way with like knowing like what they expect out of therapy, um, maybe what is PT and what we can do for them um, later down the road and, you know, just get a general like what's happening to their body. Um, and then I try not to go too more physiologically, just kind of go big picture. So like I said, that, you know, rapid acceleration, deceleration. So I kind of use like, you know, like a brain in a jar type thing. So mm-hmm. you've kind of seen those videos on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You'll definitely have the patient that comes in. It's like, oh, I looked this up on YouTube and this is what happened to me. Um, not Sometimes not the best for people to do because you will yeah. have people that are, they shouldn't be looking at those videos because um, it makes matters worse. Um, so I think I completely agree with terms of like the patient education aspect, especially for this patient population. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a psycholo- There's a bigger psychological component, especially if it's very traumatic and they've had other injuries associated with that event. Um, right. But also just, just talking about like the prognosis of, of like, you know, the fact that we know based on research that large majority of the time, this does get better with, yes. you know, doing the right type of treatment and things of that nature. Um, so I think patient education is like, it's so important because it's such a big aspect of what we do as physical therapists because they don't necessarily get it from other providers. And that's not necessarily to say that's, you know, bad on them. It's, you know, we have the most time with patients 
out of most yes. of the medical providers or healthcare providers in the, you know, the profession. Um, so I think patient education is a big aspect of, especially that first visit, not only to set the prognosis, but to set like patient expectations of this is not going to go away within one treatment session, right? I'm yep. not going to do a magical thoracic manipulation that's going to have this neck pain gone, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like it, that's perfectly put. Yeah. It's not an overnight fix. Um, and I'd be doing them a disservice if I was like, hey, I'm going to make you feel 50% better today. And that's just unrealistic. Um, so kind of just being, you know, um, quite frankly, just real with them. Um, just goes both well for the future um, with uh, with your patient report with the patient. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a nice, especially with a motor vehicle accident or more of a traumatic injury um, mm-hmm. is, you know, that positive, reassur- that positive reassurance to the patient of like, you know, yes, you're in a car accident. Yes, your neck hurts. But like in terms of everything else, everything mm-hmm. else is good. We're just going to focus on your neck. You know, you don't yeah. have any broken ribs. You don't have a, you don't. Yeah. Um, I think that's important too for something as traumatic as a car accident. And obviously you will have the cases where that is not the case. And there are other things that are going on that we need to address, but I think giving right. that positive reassurance, like helps kind of get the ball rolling. Um, especially for the people that are very scared to move very traumatic experience. So psychologically we have, there's some not issues, but there's some things we have to be patient with. And then, Number three is that just patient like morale because people are, you know, sometimes this this can cause issues with all other aspects of their livelihood, whether it be their job or, you know, issues with the family and things of that nature. So I think that's an important aspect too. So in terms of, we talked about more of like a manual therapy approach. So we talked about like the soft tissue stuff. Um, what about like therapeutic exercises or just exercises in general? What's your approach to that? Um, so I like to start for first mobility, then strengthening. Um, so like I said, you know, getting them moving is like very important. So I might start with a couple of snags. Um, so maybe self um, isometrics, maybe, you know, kind of see um, if you find some like deficits in that area of the C-spine um, and then move towards a little, uh, you know, neuromuscular re-ed. So, you know, again, that scapular retraction um, going, um, maybe, you know, move those uh, endurance tests um, into interventions. And then, you know, if you're a clinical allows, you might get out, you know, if you have like a laser, you know, even more, even more proprioception, uh, which I got the fortune enough to do in my last rotation of PT school, work with that. And actually, um, people say, you know, oh, that looks like a bunch of baloney. Actually, it doesn't actually. Um, Getting them, it it actually makes the patient even more um, have an active role in the uh, plan of care and in the the treatment session. So I actually found even more success with that. And they like to, you know, challenging themselves to like get it on the target. So if your clinic has that, then definitely use it. It works well with these patients because they're going to have, they're just hyperactive and everything's just kind of like thrown off for them right now. So they need to focus on some stability. Yeah. I think like going into the proprioceptive components of everything because that's more looking mm-hmm. at like cervical proprioception. There's other tests you can do like the scapular proprioception test um, sure. yes. to give you like a better indication as to what is actually being affected. And obviously mm-hmm. you have to have 
you have to have a good test to address these things. Otherwise, you're just treating things with no reason behind it. Um, like yes. I don't like we don't slap a laser on everybody. Slap a no. laser on people that have issues with that proprioceptive component. And this population right. is one of those where it's fairly prevalent. Um, exactly. So, like the laser, I, I think is really useful because it it's a really a good objective way to do it. And mm-hmm. it's also a good way for the patient to see how off they are. Yeah, um, that's a great, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I think like there are other tests we talked about, like if you don't have a laser, like the scapular proprioceptive test, that's really mm-hmm. hard to show a patient. Yes. Like, they, like when I move their scapula into a position, like hold it there and they drop immediately. They, yeah. first of all, they can't feel where it is to begin with because they don't have the proprioception. Number two, it can be a strength issue, but that's different from proprioception. But I can't show them that. And we're very visual right. learners. And they get even more disturbed. Yeah. yeah. And we're very, because we're very visual learners. And like, I, you know, I would have to literally videotape the scapula not moving or moving and then show them that. Whereas with a laser, like if they're very off from the target, they can very clearly see that if we set it up the right, right way for them. And I think that's a good buy-in of like, Hey, yes, you have neck pain, but there's these other things we need to focus on. Um, Cause you know, you should be able to hit this target pretty reliably, but you're not mm-hmm. like, you're, you're like two feet to the left here. Right. You know, we need to, I mean, that's pretty terrible, but you know, we need to work on these types of things and that's a good way to get patient buy-in. Um, yeah. And it's also a good way to get their neck moving too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'd be like, well, you had troubles looking left to the right, but, um, you know, look how far we are moving, you know, with the laser on your head. So, yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's another obstacle with the laser is like, you have to have the actual range of motion to do the test and to do the exercises. Um, sure. cause if you don't have that range of motion and it's not painless, I shouldn't say not painless, but if you don't have that range of motion, the test is not as valid or reliable. Um, but talk a little bit about, um, like how you would progress or regress, like utilizing the laser for those different types of exercises. So we have like the laser, the proprioceptive awareness test, and mm-hmm. that can obviously become the intervention. Mm-hmm. How would you, let's, let's call that like the starting point because it typically is the starting point. How would you okay. progress that type of exercise or that type of proprioceptive exercise? Right. So you can start off with um, just very minimal like distance as far as like how far they're rotating left and right and then increase that. You can also change direction. So up and down, you know, um, that, you know, if you've been practicing left and right up and down, it's going to be a big change up for them. Um, you can also change the, uh, the size of the target too. Um, so that's another kind of progression that makes it harder. Um, you can do things sitting, standing, uh, uh, walking. I've done it walking before. And that can be another good thing too, if you've suspected some vestibular issues too. So get there, um, you know, it kind of goes into like gaze stabilization exercises. So you can kind of make it a twofer a little bit as well, which is a good thing. And then I like to um, also, you can throw in um, some scapular um, strengthening too as well. So actually um, this is, it was a lot, but like we were kind of near the end where I had him actually doing some standing rows while also doing um, the laser. So <laughs> okay yeah yeah yeah. That's interesting yeah <laughs> i mean it's a good way to i think it's a good way to tax them so to to make somebody somewhat fatigued or put them into a fatigue state and then push the proprioception 
Um, yeah. And that's, I was just trying to get some like coordination. Um, yeah. that, that was kind of like my whole thing, like kind of coordinating the whole, like in you know, a upper thoracic cervical, um, into one cohesive unit, which was for the patient, very thrown off. Um, everything was just so, um, isolated for, uh, for them. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there's, you can, that laser, you can play around with it quite a bit. Yes. A bunch of different things. And then you can make it, um, if you're seeing like an athlete, mm-hmm. um, or somebody that has to go to back to like a more active role, let's say that's a goal for them. Like they, they want to be able to play soccer or something. Right. Um, integrating that into like sports specific movements is also beneficial because they need to be able to number one, hold that head up and be able to dissociate, but also know where that head is in space while they're sprinting, kicking a ball, doing all of these things. Um, and I think a laser is a, a good and a challenging way, especially for an athlete, because they always love to be challenged, um, mm-hmm. to to kind of get at that point. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's definitely – and it, it makes it a little um, – you know, like they're, usually the athletes are, you know, kind of like a fun project to, to have on, on your caseload as well. So you can incorporate a lot of different aspects of their sport um, with the interventions and um, the education you give them to. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think – yeah, I think it's it's definitely a unique when the, when it's an athlete, you get to tie in a lot of different aspects. Yeah. All right. Um, so I think that was a pretty good amount on the neck, and that was again we could talk for days about this. Oh yeah. Yeah. In we terms can. of <laughs> yeah, in terms of what to be able to do, um, and I'm trying my best to have you take the lead on these discussions. <laughs> um, so let's move to the low back. So I think the neck is probably the most common place where we'll see um, spinal pain following a motor vehicle accident. Mm-hmm. But low back is also something I would say that that more so is in that population where it gets kind of put under the rug a little bit um, yeah. for individuals that have other more severe injuries. Um, and that's, you know, we get into trouble with that because they become chronic stage patients. Yeah. So talk me through we won't go through the subjective aspect of it. Cause I feel like that's pretty universal for yeah, I any type of examination. There's obviously caveats to that, but what about the objective for somebody presenting with low back pain? Yeah. So um, what you, you know, you might be looking at is a lot of, um, you know, proximal muscle weakness. Um, like the core is going to be, you know, very, you know, it might not be weak, um, but just find that be firing as it, as it should. And um, you're just going to see, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, compensations with this patient because um, it could have been depending on how they've been walking around since the accident. And if, especially if and this, this is a chronic issue where maybe the accident was a year ago, they got better, but now actually it returned back. Then, then there's a whole another cascade of problems that you're presenting with. So you might get some pelvic asymmetry that you're looking at as well. Um, so I kind of start at the pelvis and then I kind of work from there. Um, and then I look at, you know, of course, uh, lumbar spine, might go a little bit to like thoracic and kind of see what's, um, what's um, coming to me as far as like hypermobility uh, or hypermobility, um, in that, in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we talked about, and we'll, we'll skip over kind of like the general screening stuff, like myotomes, dermatomes, reflexes, yeah. things of that nature. That's the, that's the basic stuff. Um, so when we talk about 
the lumbar spine in general, mm-hmm. you know, what, what specific tests are you doing besides range of motion, like segmental testing? So like spring testing, okay. um, yeah. things of that nature. What type of tests are you utilizing? Are you utilizing like a prone stability test or a prone instability test, I should say? Um, anything of that nature that you specifically use? Oh, for these patients? Yes, yeah. yes. I'll definitely do a prone um, instability test. Um, I'll do a lumbar quadrant test as well and see if there's any kind of facet dysfunction um, that kind of arisen. Um, along with that too, I would do um, straight leg raise tests in the slump. Um, just kind of see um, if they're, you know, especially they're reporting, you know, I sometimes get a pain down into my legs. Um, you, know, I, you know, I try not to like go deep into that, you know, because sometimes that could have already been there and they just like now... Um, they're like, hey, actually, I got some knee pain, you know, or something like that. Because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, I'm in a P- PT clinic. Maybe I can get them to treat my knee. So um, kind of seen that in the past. But, you know, want to just want to be sure. So you do your test. Um, so you do your kind of like your paresthesia and lumbar radic test. Um, do a couple of SI joint tests as well, just because of the violent nature of the injury too. Um, so, you know, just doesn't take too long. So I'll do yeah. like an SI gapping test and a compression test. Yeah. Um... I mean, we know that research doesn't really support like the SI moves all too much. You know, it has right. Like, oh yeah. We know it has like total of four degrees of mo- three to four degrees of motion, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. So, like the, I think the the prevalence of true SIJ dysfunction and like it coming out of place physically, very over exaggerated. I think that was something that was drilled into us at Jefferson. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, like I've had one patient that tested positive for like the entire SIJ cluster and oh, she wow. was, a, yeah, like she was a motor vehicle accident and okay. it made, I mean, it made sense because it was a very violent car crash. Like this woman, um, she was, got hit at intersection, car flipped over four times um so i mean like it was no it wasn't like a rear end bump um so i think that's good because you know a lot of the research is like eh, sij does it actually come in and out not really um it's yeah because if they're not like yeah yeah if they're not falling off like a ladder or yeah. like the, coming to me from a car accident i'm not really you know looking at because like you said the movement and, and the research out there so i'm definitely on board with you zach yeah <laughs> yeah like i think it's definitely I think this is one of the only populations that I would dive a little deep into it. But mm-hmm. even then, like I just do that cluster. And if they clear those first two tests, like I, I don't chase it. And even if they test like one or two, um, I'm always inclined to treat the lumbar spine more so, and then maybe mm-hmm. come back to the sacroiliac joint if like nothing's clearing up. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of like, the other assessment stuff. So we talk about prone instability tests. You could do your active passive range of motion, spring testing. Um, yep. We did the SIJ cluster, some neurodynamic tests and things of like that. What type of like movement assessment are you looking for? Okay. Um, so I'm looking for in that range of motion, I might be looking for any aberrant movement. So are they kind of like slowly coming up as they come up from flexion? Um, and then same thing when they, you know, when I tell them to kind of go into extension, does it take them a little bit to kind of 
brace themselves as they go backwards. So kind of like very subtle differences that can kind of kind of paint you a picture of like how they've been moving the past weeks or months, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So definitely those are different, different types. And then uh, addition to that is a kind of like a little kind of like functional movement. So not everyone does these, but I'll do, um, a, you know, and then might be more popular for the knees, but I might have them do like a mini squat and kind of just see how, you know, if there's, you know, severe, like, you know, proximal muscle weakness, especially the hip abductors kind of get some valgus movement and kind of just see kind of where, how, where their upper torso might kind of play into account when they squat. So say if they were to squat and then go severely forward, then that lets you know that they're really kind of just very kind of apprehensive and that back is just like not as, um, what would I like to say, like, you know, just uh, not stable, you know, as a sense, you know, they're very like slow to move into any position. So I kind of put them into um, some functional movements they've probably been avoiding, you know, and what you might get from there sort of like, you know, have you been squatting or kneeling? And they might say, you know, no, but like you can, hey, let's do that today. And you kind of see um, what's in front of you. Yeah. I think a good way to do that too is um, like you discussed apparent movement. Yeah. yeah. Like, especially when we're talking like going into lumbar flexion and then coming back up, like we see like a yeah. gower sign. Yes, yes. Like those, those are the type of people that would do a gower sign, but also just like, I always, any type of low back patient, you know, any type of low extremity patient, I have them walk. And oh like, yeah. Yeah. Simple, yeah, yeah. Just like walking <laughs> and like looking for that dissociation between the pelvis and the lumbar spine. Mm-hmm. Like you'll typically see, or I've typically seen like no dissociation whatsoever. Yeah. Like they're yeah. stiff as a board and it's more of like a waddle. Mm-hmm. rather than like a good a little bit of hip rotation like we know the hips don't rotate a heck of a lot through the gait cycle right. but there should be some dissociation between them and a lot for a lot of patients number one like their cadence is very slow mm-hmm. it looks like they're walking on glass mm-hmm. and the dissociation between the lumbar spine and the pelvis is like severely diminished and like as soon as i see that like i like i, I can pick them out terms of like wow you really don't like to be moving your spine or you're you're like very apprehensive about letting the spine or the pelvis move more freely um yeah that and then like just to add to some of your tests um i've been learning some of these through my mentorship time during my residency um Mm -hmm. is doing almost like a a bird dog exercise um looking at like rotary stability. Um, it's part of the FMS type of system. Um, they look at it. It's not like a validated or reliable study, but it's like kind of a good way to take a look at how they can stabilize themselves, um, from like a rotational aspect Mm -hmm. and then looking at like a one leg or a single leg bridge for time, looking at like the, strength of the glutes and the hamstrings and the endurance of them. Um, and uh, my mentor has done it quite a few times and I've seen it. I've seen it be like a useful clinical application. They're not standardized tests, but they're kind of nice to take a look at just how somebody moves. And sometimes a lot of like the motor planning that they have, which is important. Yeah. And then going back to when you said you just have them walk, um, I think a few times I've had them actually, and I've, I've found nothing you know remarkable when they walk, but then I asked them to do longer strides when they walked. And then you might've thought they just had like, you know, 
just a night out of town when they were walking because they were just so unstable and like uncoordinated and they looked like they were going to topple over. So once they get outside their base of support, you know, things just going to start to fall apart. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And then you, you even see more of that uh, disassociation. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can, I mean, another way you could probably do that is just have them walk faster. Yeah. They probably, yeah. They probably will look very different than just like a self-selected <laughs> speed. Um, yeah, that's a good, that's a good trick too. Cause you definitely, once you push it a little bit, you definitely see it come out a lot more. Yeah. And you're like, mm, yeah, it doesn't look right. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that doesn't look ne- like a necessarily normal gait pattern. Yeah. Once you get outside the comfort zone. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so let's do interventions. Okay. So let's start with kind of, we'll, we'll kind of go with the same format. So any type of manual therapy stuff that you'll do? You know, this way I might, you know, and, and, and of course, you know, all red flags and things aside, I, I might do a manipulation, you know, if it's warranted. So um, I've definitely, you know, kind of fell in love with the lumbopelvic manip. <laughs> I think that's a good one to help with, like we go back to that disassociation um, and just kind of get them moving a little bit more, especially when I found impalpation, which uh, 98% of the time they're very stiff. Um, so kind of get that, um, those joints moving. Um, then along with that, I would do a little kind of, um, long axis hip distraction, you know, kind of help kind of loosen up there or, you know, mixed in with some oscillations, either one, but, you know, definitely those are my two go-to for, um, hands-on treatments. And then, um, of course I'm like, if they're not too irritable, of course, um, some lumbar PDAs as well. Yeah. I like the, the hip distraction too. And that brings up another point of like, Got to screen the hips as well when you look at these yeah, individuals. I was just thinking that too. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, number one, it gives you if we talk about like the clinical practice rule for lumbar mm-hmm. manipulation, part of that is like I believe it's like thirty-five degrees of internal rotation. Internal rotation. Yeah, yeah. Wherever they got that from, um, <laughs> like that's a good way. It gives you more information, um, but it's also a lot of times you'll see people with, um, you know, concurrent hip pain, or you see that as somewhat of an asterisk sign. Hmm. So I've definitely done like a combo of the the lumbar pelvic manipulation with the hip distraction, and it's it's been money for a lot of the patients I've seen. Um, and we know, you know, it doesn't necessarily change like anything biomechanically, but more of that neurophysiologic effect. Just getting that that nice cascade of like a calming the nervous system down, yeah. And re- yeah, of resetting it essentially. Yeah. Um, so let's say we did, you know, that a lumbopelvic manipulation, a hip distraction. What are some of the therapeutic exercises afterwards? Yeah, so I like to go into um, some day one core stabilization. So go into some TA activation. Um, and you know, I don't expect this to kind of like really click with the patient because um, they don't have all the training with us to kind of like look for the cues and kind of really how to turn on that muscle. Um, but I kind of like to, you know, since I've been probably educating the patient throughout the about the importance of core stabilization, well, I need to follow through on that. So let's give them that. And then we'll kind of start from there and like, Hey, let's start practicing at home and then kind of bring that and then review day one treatment session uh, with that. Be like, Hey, let's, and you said you got it at the end of the last session. Well, let's see if it kind of stuck. And, um, and then uh, after, you know, some core um, I'll go into. Um, so like you said, like has some bridges, so either single leg or regular bridge, of that and maybe some holds so get some core activation um with that as well mm-hmm. yeah how quickly do you jump from like these i'll say these like more traditional exercises like stuff we learn in pt school 
um, to more of like the functional aspect of things, like having people do um, more functional activities, whether that be just like pulling a box up off the floor or deadlifts or something of that nature. How quickly do you transition them to that? I think it depends on their background. Say, you know, they're like, hey, I've been doing PT for years. Um, they're definitely not new to some of these exercises or stretches like piriformis, things like that. So I try to kind of um, more kind of walk them into like, hey, let's get uh, out of the traditional like bridges, you know, um, things like that and get into more of the functional things like you said, like picking things off the floor, some RDLs, things like that, um, and kind of change their picture of mindset a little bit. Um, and then, of course, another thing would be um, if they're like an athlete um, or uh, workers comp or, you know, or return to work, you know, so kind of like early stress in that, those abilities, because we got to get some carryover eventually. And yeah. it might be in it. Yeah. And uh, why not start early? Um, so, yeah, I think like, I think one of the biggest things for low back pain is that obviously calming down, having that symptom modulation is the first step because you need to be able to calm down those symptoms because if they're already in pain, they're not going to be moving well in pain. Number one, the muscle's not going to do what you want it to do when it's in pain, number two. And then once you have those two things, like the functional movements can be really difficult. They're just right. not going not gonna to do it. Um, so I really like the, and I know, I know you're probably aware of this one, the model by Aller Wally at L that we had at, it was introduced to us at Jefferson that kind of shows treating low back pain on a spectrum, starting with like that symptom modulation, then moving mm -hmm. into like motor control exercises, like that transverse abdominus exercise, yeah. and then moving directly into like, I'll just say like strength and conditioning stuff. That's basically yeah. what it is of like going into that route. Um, is especially when it comes to like core stability, there's been yeah. a lot of controversy over what that actually means now. Um, <laughs> I've seen it out there. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> but more of just like, you know, your core, your core is going to stabilize itself when you just start loading it. Mm -hmm. Like having people do like loaded carries, like a farmer's walk, a suitcase carry. You know, yeah. if we're talking about like a workers' comp. Like, pick up this box, move it down there, come back. Like, all of that. Like, it's working your back it's stressing the back it's making your body work as it's supposed to not necessarily having to do like all right we're gonna push your lower back into this blood pressure cuff and see how much it deflates and inflates like yeah. that's good to get it started um mm -hmm. especially when you have like the super irritable patients yeah. where you're just like like we just need to do something to just get you out of this painful state um but I think transitioning to more of that functional aspect, especially for low back pain is important to do as, like as early on as you can taking into account the irritability and the patient in mind, obviously, you know, we have a specific restrict, not restriction, but like we're going to do more with some patients than we would with others. And it's all dependent on their patient goals. Yeah. Um, and then, um, I understand that like, and I try to move away from like the basic exercise, but some of those basics, like lower trunk rotations are sometimes needed for these patients, especially to calm down the symptoms. And that's where you got to start sometimes, especially these irritable patients. But once you get that down, then, then yeah, then you can get away from them and go into the, 
um, motor control aspect, which I definitely like to spend more time on than the other um, aspects. And I feel like that's when you get your true change and um, the permanent, you know, uh, fixings as far as like for the, for the back pain. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just because it's a, say it's a basic exercise does not mean it doesn't have a place. Right. The probably the more basic you keep it, the better. So <laughs> like by, by no means is doing like lumbar rotations you know, a bad exercise by any means. There is no bad exercise, first of all. But, <laughs> um, but like, I think we do get into a bad, sometimes a habit of just like trying to jump to the most advanced thing ever. Yes. And it's yes. like, you know, it's, we need to treat it as a spectrum of, yeah. you know, calm stuff down and then build it back up through the right. mobility, that motor control. And then once we have that, then we can go to the more functional aspect of things. Um, so yeah, I think that's, yeah. yeah, I think that's an important part, an important point that you brought up. Um, and then another thing I w- like, if, uh, no, actually we haven't talked about it actually, um, is like kind of like posture. That's been a kind of a thing where do we correct posture? Do we not, you know, and I'm more of a thing of, you know, postural awareness, you know, maybe kind of, you know, if you find yourself, you know, slouched over, um, or like, you know, look in, let's look in the mirror, you know, do you see your rounded shoulders, you know? Um, you know, let's see if we can, you know, these exercises, you know, I'm, as I'm putting you up into like a more kind of, let's say I, I use the word vertical, you know, that might not be a bad thing for you. Um, but I won't like harp on it. Like, no, we need to change that. Like, you know, I just made more of an awareness. Um, and I like to get your thoughts on that, Zach. I'm like, um, do you kind of use the term posture in any of your patients or do you just stay away from it at all? I try to stay away from it. Okay. Um, you know, I, I'm not someone who's, yeah, I try to stay away from it just because, um, I think I can get into trouble with saying that type of stuff. Um, but it's also dependent on the person. Um, so they have beliefs like regarding their posture of like, Oh, like I, I need to have perfect posture in order for my back to feel better. I will say like, yeah, we're going to do some exercises to work on your posture. Yeah, yeah. Get that patient buy-in, fulfilling patient expectations and patient beliefs. Like, you know, we had there's a lot of research coming out, and that has come out in terms of like, does posture actually truly matter? And like, for the most part, not really. Mm -hmm. It's more of does it affect the symptoms that you're experiencing? Right. So you know if a specific motion or a specific posture is really truly causing you pain and we move them out of that particular posture and their symptoms subside or their symptoms are modulated in some degree, then yes, it matters. I think this is a big thing when we talk about like shoulder patients. Um, Yeah. Looking at like the shoulder symptom modification procedure, thoracic Mm -hmm. positioning is one of those tests or part of that procedure. The process, yeah. Yeah, that aspect of it is, hey, if we change your posture, does it affect your pain? Does it affect your motion at all? I think that in terms of posture is the important aspect of it. But in terms of like, oh, you have bad posture, you have slouched shoulders, or I want you to have perfect posture, there is no such thing. Yeah, Um, and I try to stay away from definitely that. (laughs) <laughs> there's there's no such thing as a perfect posture and I really try to 
not go into that pathway or go into that avenue whatsoever. Because I know, I mean, just based off of the research, it just doesn't support it. Right. Yeah, that's that's true. And then, yeah, and like I'll say, like, you know, I might say two two tidbits about it. And then, you know, if they come in the next session, like, hey, I feel better with the better posture. And if they don't, then I don't, you know, because I know what the research says. So yeah, just like, you know, like a thing, almost like a, um, like a proprioceptive type thing, you know, like a, like a kind of tactile thing, like, you know, oh, if it finds like, you know, that they're like, when they sit in a the chair, they can kind of get more upright and that helps kind of like more like kind of psychological issue, then I'm all for it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a, <laughs> there's something that the research says, but there's also something to say about taking into account your patient beliefs, their expectations, because yeah. that's including that is important. Yes. Yeah. I agree. All right. Um, so I think that was a pretty good discussion. Yeah, we went a little I, bit, I yeah, I think we went a little bit longer than we originally planned, <laughs> but I think that's all right. Um, did, it for the people, did it for the clinicians out there. Yeah, did it for the <laughs> people. Incidents. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Um, so where can people find you, Steele? Um, yeah, so again, you can find me at Coach House Physical Therapy. Um, uh, we're in Dumfries, Virginia. Um, we are taking patients every day. Um, and also, uh, Virginia is a direct access state. So um, what that means is we can see you um, without a referral from your uh, physician, PA, or nurse practitioner, um, but we can only treat you for up to 30 days. And then after that point, we'll have to get you uh, a referral. But yep, come on in. Um, and then, you know, I'll be happy. Me and um, some other colleagues will be happy to treat you. You know, and like I said, we span from all ortho, um, post-op, um, surgeries, and vestibular um, even have we just got in our frenzo goggles so you know got all the latest technologies for that which i'm happy about you know makes it easier to you know it's good nystagmus so <laughs> yeah no that's that's definitely hard to see if you don't have those types of goggles it's got to be pretty yeah. severe all right um so besides the you know your physical therapy practice or where you work where can people find you on social media oh yeah so um i have twitter yep on the twitter so you can find me at man of steel um pt you know, give, give your boy a follow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, um, and then on Instagram at man of steel, um, uh, uh, 703. All right. Um, again, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. That was a good discussion. Thank um, you. maybe we'll, I shouldn't say maybe we will <laughs> talk again <laughs> sometime in the future. Um, I'd love to, I'd love to. yeah, about maybe <laughs> another topic or maybe just going further in depth into what we talked about today. Yeah. Um, like you said, we can go on and on. <laughs> oh yeah. We can go on and on into it. All right, man. Um, thanks again. 